Hello, beautiful people. In today's episode, I speak to the man, the myth, the legend, Gary Vaynerchuk. He absolutely needs no introduction, but he's a five times New York Times bestselling author. He's the creator of VaynerMedia. And more importantly, from my perspective, at least, he is, he is someone that has operated with love, empathy, and kindness for the past, I don't know, 14 years on the internet. And that is incredibly impressive. And we spoke about that in this conversation. But I want to quickly tell the story of how this episode came to be. It's pretty incredible from my perspective. So I wanted to share it with you guys as well. What happened was I tweeted one Friday a couple weeks back of my dream guests. My dream guest on this podcast would be Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, Jocko Willink, Mike Posner, and of course, Gary Vaynerchuk. And someone responded to this tweet and said, Gary would be legendary. And for some reason, this triggered a thought in me to go back and retrieve an old post I wrote when I was 13 years old. I wrote this post and Gary actually commented on it. So I was going to reply with this this uh, post, but I said, you know what, people might enjoy this. And I shared it with everyone. After that, I eventually, what happened was Gary actually saw this, liked my post that I wrote about him 11 years ago, and he followed me. When I saw that he followed me, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I took a screenshot of it, tweeted that he followed me, and what happened next was crazy. Everybody on Twitter was going crazy, saying, Gary, you should go on Danny's podcast. This is incredible. When's the podcast? And it happened over and over and over. Eventually, what happened was some people started to talk poorly about Gary, and that led Gary with the empathy and kindness to jump into the comments. He then engaged the people who were hating on him. And we spoke about that in this conversation as well. And my friend, Logan, at LogFit6, comes in and says, hey, Gary, you know, if you are still here, could you do a podcast with Danny Miranda? And Gary said, fuck it, I'm in. And that is how this conversation came to be. If this is the first time you're hearing my content or the first time you're hearing my podcast, you know, it would mean the world to me if you told me how I did so that I can improve the craft, so that I can get better. And your feedback, positive or negative, just fuels me even further to keep going. So let me know what you think of the episode on Twitter. At Hey Danny Miranda is the best place to find me. If you'd like to, you can also send me an email responses will vary there. I'll try to get to everyone, danny at dannymiranda.com. But Twitter is probably the best place to reach me about your thoughts on this episode. And finally, if you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. Let someone know who's a Gary Vaynerchuk fan or someone who will enjoy this episode. Let them know that, hey, this is a pretty cool episode. I would really appreciate that. It would go a long way to further the show's reach and 
I would be eternally grateful for you for doing that from the bottom of my heart. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Gary Vaynerchuk. Interesting people, thought-provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. So, Gary, first of all, thank you for joining me. And so I want to start this off about a story that okay. started in 2011. Let's see if it rings any bells. I had a Knicks blog at the time, was writing every day and was communicating with you back and forth. And I wanted to go to your book signing for the Thank You Economy back in March of 2011 in New York City. But my mom wouldn't let me go because it was a school night. And I text you or or DM you rather. And I say, hey, Gary, my mom won't let me go to this book signing. You know, this is this is the issue I'm running into. And you said, that's great. What's your number? And you called her on the spot. Oh my God, brother, that's you? Left her voicemail. And it is something that my college friends, I talked to, my mom, we talk about to this day. So what compelled you to give your time of day to a 15-year-old kid? And what did you say to my mom to convince her that (laughs) I should come to your book signing? I don't want to lie. So I don't remember all the details of what I said, but I actually remember the setup to this. And I've done maybe like seven to 12 calls in the last 10 years where I've had enough awareness on me that people would want such a thing. Um, Bunch of answers. First of all, thanks for having me on the show. I mean, you are like winning the serendipity of my, you completely figured out how to hack my brain because here's another serendipitous moment. I also think you did a blog post that I left a comment to or something like that, right? I saw you say on Twitter. Um, So you're clearly good at getting my attention or saying what pulls at my heartstrings. you know, I think what compels me is gratitude. You know, like I'm grateful. Like watching people respond, like me reading the tweets when I decided to do your podcast randomly the other night and people thinking that was cool. I'm not ever gonna be a person who doesn't think that that's cool. Like I'm still the same person in my brain that I've been before anybody knew who I was. So for me to think I'm in a place in my life where People think it's cool that I'm doing this podcast, that like it's a big thing for you, for me to do this. Now listen, my admin team, my leadership team's mad that I'm doing this 30, not overall, but on December you know, 14th, we're closing budgets. There's a lot going on right now. Even I saw it this morning, because I didn't know, I kind of thought we would do this at night one night, late, late night. And I was like, ugh, you know, there's some real shit I gotta get done, <laughs> you know? But, but, but that's just operational, that's just valuing time, that's just taking care of your responsibilities. It's not big timing. I'll never be that person and I'm just humbled by it. And um, you know, what I probably told your mom is what I believe, which is if I was doing this right now for a 15 year old, I'm like, look, in my soul, I believe the things that I talk about and where the world's going. And if you have a 15 year old that's connecting to it, that this might just actually be a good use of time because all the things that you would do for homework on a school night is very likely not gonna be more valuable than the people you learn or some of the ideas that will be put into your head at night. And so, you know, I'm sure your mom appreciated the effort. You know, I'm stunned by people's lack of effort or appreciation or gratitude towards their communities. It's why I engaged some of the people that were not as 
into me in your comments and saying I'm sucky or, you know, it was really funny. I replied to one of them was like, I can't win. Either I'm pushing people to not sleep and work too hard or I'm pushing people to be too patient and not go about getting that money. And I was laughing. I'm like, it's an unwinnable game. And I think context is everything. Um, but, but the reason I engaged in some of those comments, Danny, is, is because I appreciate them having opinions. Like, you know, like I know that nobody really knows me. Right, you don't you don't really know you, you know people that are closest to you know and like people are making perceptions and like the world's crazy people make up shit like man people have taken photos with me at the airport and then posted on LinkedIn that we had a business meeting mm-hmm. people people have said not nice things about me in public or private because I didn't give them money for their startup and they just make up stuff like life's complicated and so you, as you start getting more notoriety and you get more cheering and booing you kind of got to go into this Zen place of like, hey, I'm going to try to do all the best right things. And at the end of the day, when I'm old and I die, more people will cheer than boo because only so many people are willing to make up shit. And so that's kind of how I navigate. It's a beautiful place to be. And from what I've seen looking at you for the past 11 years is that same guy. I started following your content when I was 13 years old and something in me saw that this person is gratitude. This person is looking out for the best in people. And it was that that attracted me to you and to your content. And for that, I'm really grateful. So my question to you, my follow-up is, what do you do? Where do you go to that place when you see all those negative comments? What is... What is going through your head? How are you navigating that into a, into a positive, into empathy? What's practically going on in your head? You know, one, it's a, it's a blend of a couple things. Hey, maybe they caught something I said. First it's, first, it's accountability. Hey, maybe I didn't do a good job explaining something on a podcast and it turned that person off. Hey, maybe we didn't edit an Instagram clip well enough and the context was lost, even though I write the copy always to like set up the video. Maybe they didn't read the copy. Um, maybe I fired their best friend and they thought I was unfair because their best friend didn't tell them the whole picture. Maybe, you know, I go through those series of things or me, and then I go into the macro. Maybe they're unhappy and, you know, they just want to tear somebody down today and I just happen to be in the feed that day. Maybe maybe they took my advice of being patient and it was too patient and they lost and they're like, fuck Gary B. And they don't want the accountability. It's more fun to point, point the finger. So for me, first I focus on pointing my thumb at myself. What have I done to make people misunderstand or maybe miscontrol? You know, when everybody tries to say that I talk about out, overworking yourself and hustle porn, I'm like, man, I didn't do a good enough job in my early career to talk about this was contextual to the time. You know, the economy collapsed, people were out of jobs, people were hurting, the internet was exploding, it was a huge opportunity. And even though I talked about being happy and doing it for 50,000 a year, if it makes you happy, for some reason, maybe my Jersey energy, maybe because I didn't do a good enough job clarifying along the way, maybe I let that word hustle get too attached to me and didn't and didn't, you know, I still love hustle. It's called work ethic. Nobody's gonna fucking do anything without work ethic. It's not gonna happen in a meaningful way. But, but I don't, that doesn't mean I'm talking about burnout or suicide or unhappiness. As a matter of fact, the reason I think I talk about so much of not doing it for the cars and the, and the rides and the, and the jewelry and the trips is because I think that usually means people want affirmation from others that they've made it 
And that if you care about other people's opinions that way, you become very vulnerable. And I don't want that for people because that's what leads to unhappiness because there's always gonna be somebody richer, more famous, prettier, bigger car. You know what I mean? You get into this mm-hmm. cycle. So, you know, I th- and by the way, the other place I go, my friend, I don't expect everybody to consume 19 hours of my content and have every T and I crossed. You know, there's a reason that people that have more consumption of my content feel better about it because they've been able to see it contextualize versus somebody seeing three viral videos ever and deciding that's who I am. So what goes through my mind is they're right because they're a human being and that's their opinion and I've got to do a better job clarifying. I didn't talk about the fact in the first 10 years of my career that my dad owned Wine Library and I didn't because I felt like, to be frank, to be very transparent, I felt like, man, I really built a huge business for my dad and I left and I didn't want people to be think my dad was a bad guy. You know, I knew that a lot of Americans don't know about immigrant family businesses where, you know, like I didn't want my dad to look bad that I built something for four to $60 million and I got nothing, woe is me. Oh my God, Sasha's such a dick, fucking child labor. You know, I didn't want that. So I overprotected him. But then that led to people being like, don't listen to this guy who was handed everything. I'm like, fuck that, I'm the reverse. <laughs> I gave up the first 15 years of my career to build something for my dad, but still someone else. And I had to start VaynerMedia in a fucking conference room because I had no fucking money. So like, you know, like, you know, that shit. Something a lot of people don't know about you is that you were ahead of the game on domain names. And I believe you owned KanyeWest.com at one point and gave it away to him for free. I gave it away to somebody who at the label, we had Kanye West, I think Kanye West was .tv and that's when video was blowing up. We definitely had young, we had rickross.com, we had youngjock.com. Yeah, we had a bunch, you know, I was always playing. You know, we owned Camus Wine and Silver Oak and Opus One, I did that. All the rap stuff in 09 was just because me, AJ, Mike Boyd were into it and just super hyped on it. It was, but I did that in 96 with all the wineries. Um, and, and I didn't do it out of malition. You know, I did it out of like, you know, I'm going to grab them because they're an asset. And then, um, I, um, then all those wineries and all those rappers, when they came around, asked for it, I was all about that life. It was more all, you know, now I, I was learning. I was trying to learn, you know, like, yeah, but I loved, I owned a bunch of domain names, you know, I owned a lot of cannabis URLs back in the 90s because I was like, I'm going to be in the wine business and in 20 years, cannabis is going to be legalized. And, you know, I did, I did a great job and then I did a terrible job because I just let them run out because somewhere around year six or seven, I was like, oh, this is never going to happen. Sure enough, it's happened. Um, but um, yeah, I've always liked understanding consumer behavior, what humans would do and what would be the assets in that game. Mm. And you gave those away or you sold them? How did I that... gave them away because, gotcha. because that was really their IP. I was, I was hacking, having fun, but I would never take a URL, even the wineries that are businesses, I gave it to them. Didn't even, you would feel a little bit better maybe with a business than with, but it just never, it never even crossed my mind that I was going to take somebody else's name. I was trying to learn. I was trying to see if I could at the time, because I mean, the wine stuff, I didn't even, you know, people were saying the internet was a fad, so you didn't even know. So at that point, I was trying to learn, build other things, because I didn't, I wanted to learn how traffic was working, how how search engines work. This is a long time ago. You know, with the rap stuff, we were sending, we were sending traffic from MySpace to these sites to then drive back to their 
MySpace and other, um, at the time, I don't think it was, I don't think it was Napster. It was learning. It was, that was culture branding, you know? So no, I didn't sell any of those because I didn't think that was the appropriate thing to do. I think it was more about, um, about learning what was contemporary in the market and how traffic worked around it. So it was more like a lab for me than like a domain squatting arbitrage. And I'm not even sure, you know, I'm, I'm not, it was never a big game for me. So I don't even know, like, can you do that to humans? Do you do that with general terms? What the IP laws are, trademarks? It just, that's not where I go for money making. Um, mm-hmm. But it is where I go for learning how culture works, which is something I spend way more time on than I think many realize. Hmm. You've said before that you are going to be the most famous person in the world. You said that very recently. And I'm curious, you said the reason why is because you know what to do with the fame and you know to give kindness and love, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm curious, when did that realization occur to you? Oh, oh shit, we're onto something here. A couple things. One, I'm just thinking about like how that statement lands. This would go back to like reasons why people leave funny comments on social. You know, I'm fascinated by how replicatable and obvious it is for me to build awareness for a human or a brand. That was the point of I'm gonna be the, you know, that was the context of that statement. You know, I was 34 years old before I decided to make any real, 31 for Wine Library TV and 34 for business content. It it never crossed my mind that people would know who I was. I always wanted to be a good businessman. I always knew I was a marketer. Um, But probably about five years ago, I was like, wait a minute. This is real, probably when I rebooted Gary V aggressively. You know, there's the kind of 2009 to 11 version, 13 and 14, I'm pretty quiet except for keynotes because I'm really deep in Vayner. And then when I knew I wanted to be a practice, you know, I check this out. I'm doing it in 2006 to 2011. Vayner Media is now rolling and I'm focused in 13 and 14 being CEO. But that means I stopped really doing Gary Vee content because I stopped doing Wine Library TV in 2011. And I didn't have a daily show. I didn't have anything. Somewhere around 2000, early 14, I'm like, wait a minute. What made me dominant was that I was a practitioner. I'm doing it. I'm now two years removed. I don't feel super strong. I kind of, I, I kind of know how to do Facebook advertising. I kind of, like, I'm good but I'm not the best in the world like I was in 2010, or at least one of them. And you know, this is me talking to myself, by the way. Um, <laughs> so rebooting Gary V was a way for me to, with the Ask Gary V show, which was the really the start of this all, and then that led to Daily V, and that led to being very serious about Instagram and other platforms. That was more about me being a practitioner than it was about my notoriety, fame, awareness is a byproduct of my obsession to be a practitioner. And the only thing I have 100,000% control over is me, the human being. More than Wine Library, more than VaynerMedia, more than anything I'm involved in. And and that is why I am who I am and do what I do in my life. You've said that you were 1% unhappy when you started Wine Library. I'm curious, what were you 1% unhappy about? When I I left, when I started Wine Library TV. Yes. My dad and I were fighting. Really? Yeah. My dad and I were fighting because I had built a huge business. I was now 30. 
you know, that 3-0 can even, you know, I was talking about don't let 3-0 fuck you up, but like, it's because I, even for me, I have to question myself like, hey, November of, of 2005 is when I decided to do Wine Library TV because I was check, I was looking at YouTube. I'm like, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I was so right about things with Google AdWords and email and I was starting to get different. I was starting to change. I was like, I'm good at this. I, this is different than just being a wine retailer. I understand communication. And I don't even think I said it that smartly or use that big of a word, not that communication is a big word. It was just like, I understand what people are doing or will, I think YouTube is gonna be big. I'm gonna start a YouTube show. Um, but that was really on the back of my, there's a Flickr photo that run, that's on the internet. And it's a, it's a bowl of pasta I ate at my desk at Wine Library in December of 2005. And it's a drawing, a layout of gourmetlibrary.com. I don't say that's what it is. But it's a drawing of gourmetlibrary.com and a, bowl, a yellow bowl with some pasta sauce. I gotta find this photo. Somewhere on Flickr. It's like, I have like four Flickr photos. Uh, and, and I basically say, something like one day people will know why this picture matters. Wow. And what the picture represented was I was ready to do something else. Mm-hmm. But I knew that if I left my dad's business and my dad and I were fighting because I was like starting to feel tension of not making a lot of money and not owning anything and working 15 hours a day for eight straight years and built a massive business for him. And he was feeling tension because the whole industry looked at me as the man because I was operating and could care less about him and he didn't feel like he was being respected. So we were both losing, which leads to Rams butting heads, right? Mm -hmm. And so I I realized like we were starting to get close to the time where I always kind of knew in my back of my mind that I would do something for myself, potentially if depending how life worked out. So that's what was happening there. And, you know, five, six, seven weeks later, I, I filmed the first episode of Wine Library TV. Uh, I was gonna launch Gourmet Library, but Wine Library TV worked intuitively right away. The first 100 episodes, nobody gave a shit, but I was seeing it. And I also was starting to use Twitter, right? I tried to sign up for Twitter that February, that same time I went to a conference in London, the Wi-Fi wanked out and I didn't actually create my account. So that May, it's so funny how life works. I was gonna start that February. I came back busy with other things, obviously wasn't a top priority, but by that May, I got onto Twitter, May of 07. And between Twitter, the work I was doing on Twitter, driving to Wine Library TV on YouTube and Viddler and my vlog, which you know back then you embedded your videos on a WordPress because you would host your show on your platform, not just natively on YouTube. And it was just happening. And I never got around to Gourmet Library. It just, you know, Wine Library TV took off, drove my dad's business even more. I was learning. I got into Web 2.0. I invested in Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. I started meeting Kevin Rose and Mark Zuckerberg and all these, David Karp and all these interesting people of the early internet. YouTube buys YouTube sells to Google for 1.6 billion. I'm like, oh my God, this is the world. This is the future. And I dove in head first. And a couple of years later, VaynerMedia comes out and Crush It is written and my career takes a different turn. How, let's fast forward a little bit to when you start to blow up, let's say on the internet. How do you start to deal with the fact that you cannot respond to everybody? Because like I was starting to understand when I was going through, you 
you blew me up from this this interview. It's like there's so many comments. How do you deal with the fact emotionally as such a empathetic person wanting to help everyone? How do you deal with the fact that you can't respond to everyone as, at a certain point? How do you deal with that emotionally and mentally? It was a tough struggle. As you know, that was a big platform I sat on. Thank You Economy was about replying to everybody. I did it for five years. I used to go to sleep at four o'clock in the morning. I would wake up at 10 and get my six, but like I was going hard. I, I wanted to go to sleep every night replying to everybody and every email. I thought it was imperative. I didn't have a platform other than making real relationships. I believed in it. I believe in it today. It's why I'm here yeah. right this second. You know, like, so at some point I knew the math was too much and it wasn't, for me, it wasn't that I was burning out. And I do think that's what it is for others. And if you feel like you don't like it anymore, you shouldn't. But for me, it was, I was just growing too fast and like, I'm logical. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I could do this for another year, but like the math is very clear. And maybe it's time I get to reconcile that I can't reply to everybody. And, uh, but, I, but I still believe that replying to everybody on Twitter from May 07 to let's call it, I don't know where in 2011, I kind of stopped doing it. But that was a weird transition to me. It was like my norm. I just thought it's what I did. Um, but I still love responding to people ad hoc and doing things. And I, I do think what makes social media unique is the conversation element. I do think that in the 07, 08, 09 era, it was all hippie nirvana land. It was all nice. It's not that anymore. And I think that leads to people's different relationships with social media. Um, but, but I get great enjoyment from engaging with communities and you know, you learn things, right? I reply nicely to one thing from you and next thing I know, I'm like, what's money Twitter? Money Twitter's in the building, right? Like, you know, and like, like seeing that whole unearthed community. And I always love seeing, you know, for me, I'll always be attracted to the young bucks. You know, when I see that kind of energy, I'm like, oh, like I, I, I have love for that. I'm like, good for that. Like good for people like doing it. Like, you know what I mean? Like as, an, as a mid-aged lion now, you know, mm-hmm. who was always a young lion, you know, I see a lot of mid-aged and old lions get bitter about young lions wanting to like shit on them and this and that. And I never understand. I'm like, you were that young lion, you know? Um, <laughs> it, it was funny. The, the, I, I just have always not understood. I cheer for the youth. I don't understand how people don't. I also am competitive. You know, it was funny. Some of the comments in our exchange, some people are like, Gary's too passive. He's not about making that money. I was laughing. I was like, let's do a money off, dick. Let's see who wins. Like, you know, I, I'm doing brand while people do sales. That's where people get confused. Nike's not out here peddling, but that swoosh is worth a zillion. And I think people, you know, will evolve their thinking and things of that nature. But I also like the competitive spirit. I still am in the prime of my career. So getting down in with the young lions, like I can grind it with the best of them. So... I'm about that life, but I'm also about having a well-rounded combo because I don't think most people have the self-esteem that I have. And when they're dealt with adversity, that's when they go into sad places. I also do think that people are flexing too much perception versus reality. I didn't have those issues and I I wanna be responsible with my platform to talk about all angles because some people could be about that money for a year and a half, but end up at zero. I know those people. I know unlimited people that were about that money life for two or three years, four years, so much so that they built an unstable, unsustainable model and lost all the way from never being financially sound again, all the way to the extremes of taking their lives. And I think 
I think good balanced conversations matter. And I, I think that demonizing patience makes me laugh. That's just confusion. Mm. That doesn't mean sit on your ass. You know, one of the kids said something in the thing and made me tweet. I'm like, don't confuse patience with non-action. I'm out here burning it every day. But, but you can't expect everything to happen in two seconds. How did your grandmother's negativity impact your own positivity? Because I think this is a, an important point that you were able to take that negativity and, and turn it into positivity. What do you think the relationship there is? It's huge. She was a big part of my life. She was my only grandparent, you know, and it's tough, right? She's passed recently. It's like tough to talk about your only grandparent that you knew maybe in a negative light. I don't, my grandma, Esther, had a very negative mother. I knew her, my great grandmother. And guess what? I have a funny feeling that my great grandmother had a very negative mother or father. I just didn't know them. So this is not to call out my grandmother. Um, but you know, I watched my grandmother, my grandmother spent her entire summers with us, you know, and her negativity was very, very real and very against my religion and not how I saw the world. And I saw the effects of how that affected my dad. My dad has a lot of variables that I know come from having a negative mom. And I also, it was also in the contrast of me having a positive mom and a supporting system. So it was this crazy contrast. And I also had my natural convictions. So by the time I was eight, nine, 10, 11, I was already like a weird dude. I was in, in my zone, in my bubble. Sounds like you, like if you were that young into my stuff, you were, that's different for 13 and I was that guy. And so she wasn't able to, like her negativity wasn't able to penetrate me, but it made me very empathetic. I think my opening answers here to how do I deal with hate probably come from the learnings of being around someone who had negativity in their DNA. Your life seems to me from an outside perspective, a tale of two, two cities where you're able to use that dichotomy. I don't want to hold you for too long, Gary. And I'm going to go over by five minutes. So you got six more minutes because I'm enjoying this because you're doing a good job asking different stuff. And I'm, I appreciate that. That means you're putting in the work. Of course. And so when you- but Yes, love- yes. You, you made a very good point. I'll spend a second on it. My closeness to negativity, cynicism, and positivity- is a very huge framework to my success. I, I Both sides of my family had some opposite DNA traits on that front and my ability to observe, I'm a great observer, you know, and so you can imagine that was my life. So I observed it. And so I have compassion, sympathy, empathy, and understanding of both sides. I do not think being optimistic is delusion. Like I don't think when people keep it real, they keep it real. I think they keep it real cynical. Hmm. You know, like keeping it real is not, saying anything and just executing. You know, when you're just shitting on everything, you're not keeping it real. You're tearing down other buildings eight out of 10 times. Sometimes you're keeping it real, but every friend I've had that's a big, I keep it real is actually cynical. Hmm. And so, you know. Absolutely. So final question, when you love as many people as hard as you do with as much love, how do you deal with death? Death is something that is, it seems like it's, it's going to happen to us all. So how do you deal with that when you're loving more than the average person? When, you're, when you have that, how do you deal with death and, and how do you, can you talk about that? I can, but the way I'm going to talk about it is going to be very interesting. My, the closest person I've ever lost in my life is my grandmother. And the reality and transparent truth is, it was probably the weakest relationship I had in my inner circle. Mm. I lost three of my grandparents before I knew them. 
two before I was born. And my parents were in their 20s when they, like 20 when they had me. 20, my mom was 20, my dad was 21 and a half. So, 22, just turned 22. So, (laughs) the reality is, uh, another thing people say to me sometimes, like, Gary, I don't listen to you anymore. You say the same stuff. I'm like, mazel. I'm like, good. I'm like, I want to talk. That's what you want. I want to talk about the stuff I know. I also believe that one of the only reasons to kind of stay on top of me is I'm very good at observing the new places. So, if I'm listening to me, I'd probably be like, after a while, okay, I get it. Oh, okay, the reason I'm gonna check in with this dude or kind of keep an eye on it is because of the TikTok thing and the Snapchat. Like, he's gonna be right and that's gonna be good for me and I'm gonna stay on that boat. And two, seven, nine times a year, that macro thing is good to get reinforced. No different than the reason I call my best friend Brandon or my mom because sometimes I want a little positive reinforcement and I go to them. So I'm thrilled that I am that for so many people. Um, So the answer is I don't know. Hmm. The answer to your question, your final question is I have no goddamn clue because I would argue the majority of people on this, listening to this, have been through a death that hurt them more than me and they have more credibility to speak to this subject than I do. I can tell you that there's an incredible amount of fear that runs through my body of losing one of those 10, 15 closest people to me in the world because I do think I'm gonna really struggle or I'm gonna surprise myself and be very grateful for, like I'm a very grateful, optimistic dude. It's gonna be an interesting tug of war of my devastation versus my gratitude. And until I live it, I can't speak to it with conviction the way I'd speak about all the other things I speak about. Well, I really appreciate your time. Don't wanna take up any more of it, Gary. Anything else, I, we're, you know, this is gonna be it. So I figured, uh, you know, I'm three minutes late for my next meeting anyways. Or anything else you wanted to get in? Any? <laughs> Anything random? When you started Wine Library, what were, did you set a goal of yourself for I'm going to record X amount of episodes? Did you have, you were just like, I'm going to go and I know it's going to be successful? Yes. And I know, let me tell you something else that might help. Actually, this is why I fucking intuitively felt it was good to get one more question. This is going to help a ton of fucking youngsters, I think. I knew that the learnings from the process we're gonna be valuable enough for the entire commitment to time. I knew that I was gonna do something innovative. I knew I was gonna learn something, think about it. I was doing YouTube long form, that was unheard of. I was using social media to promote it. That was super unheard of. I knew that I was gonna get bigger into the tech world. I was front facing camera, personality. I'd never done that in my goddamn life. I didn't, I got a D in speech. I didn't, I wasn't in drama. I was barely a class clown. This is, you know, so I knew that I was gonna learn a lot about myself and things that could help me. And then I did it as long as I wanted to do it, which ended up being five fucking years, five days a week. You know, in five years doing only a Monday through Friday show, no weekends, I did a thousand episodes. Think about that. That's like insane levels of consistency. Um, and so I am proud of that. And I did learn a lot. I mean, it, it was foundational to my career. I think a lot of guys and girls listening right now overthink the ROI of their actions in their youth and they don't realize the context and the learning are gonna be more valuable than the financial ramifications in that short window. It's exactly what I'm doing with this podcast. God bless you, Gary. Thank you for your impact on my life. I appreciate you. Have a great one. Cheers. Thank you, brother. Bye-bye.
that was my conversation with Gary Vaynerchuk. If you made it this far, first of all, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate you more than you know, and thank you. Secondly, if you would like to continue the conversation with me about this episode, you can do that at Hey Danny Miranda on Twitter. That is the best place to find me. That is the best place to reach me. And lastly, I write a free weekly newsletter called Tuesday Treasure, which you can find at dannymiranda.com slash Tuesday, where I compile the coolest things I find every week and send them directly to your inbox. If you enjoyed this conversation, you probably also will enjoy that newsletter, and I would be forever grateful for you if you signed up. That's all for now, folks. Really enjoyed this conversation. Hope you did as well, and let me know what you think. Have a great one, everyone.